Welcome back, everyone, for episode 23 of the Zero Analytics Podcast, where we explore the karting world to hear the journey from the top performers in all aspects of our sport. In today's episode, we visit Memphis, Tennessee to visit with Dustin Stegen. Like some of the previous guests, Dustin and I became friends on social media as a result of the podcast, and I've kept up with his post and racing throughout the last year. Most of the questions and requests I've received lately through the podcast have been from guys that run higher horsepower classes, oftentimes along the lines of what some would call the backyard circuit. When I say backyard, I don't mean any less competitive. It just happens to be their only way to race due to the lack of tracks in their area. As Dustin and I mentioned in the podcast, I want to make sure I don't get tunnel vision and stick only to the southeast or even just high-level guys that race for big money all the time. Our sport is made up of all kinds of racers and teams, and I want the podcast to be able to help everyone in some way. Dustin has raced at all levels with success, and we had a great conversation, touching on all sorts of topics. I hope you enjoyed this wide-ranging conversation as much as I did. Ladies and gentlemen, without any further ado... My friend, Mr. Dustin Stegen. Dustin, I'm going to try. Uh, so your last name, is it Stegen? Stegen? It's Stegen. It's Stegen. You nailed it. Stegen. Good deal, man. Um, Chase, is that your middle name? Correct. Cool. Gotcha. It's kind of a cool middle name to be a racer. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, at first it was supposed to be Amal, but uh, apparently Amal? my mom did um, Yeah, like Dustin Amal. <laughs> Huh. So <laughs> <laughs> I got you. That's funny. Apparently, apparently mom didn't like that one. Uh, that's funny. Uh, so where do you live, man? Tell me, uh, actually go ahead and tell me a little bit about, um, you know, like where you're from. Um, not really the backstory, but just kind of like what your current involvement is in racing and, um, and what do you do outside of racing? Uh, if you um, have time to do anything. Sure. Um, I'm born and raised in Memphis, currently live here. Uh, don't have any plans on leaving. Um, as far as what I'm currently doing, I'm, I'm running my own tire business deal with STC. I've got, you know, multiple carts that we're fielding outside of my shop, whether it be for me or for junior drivers. Uh, my bread and butter is pretty much doing tire work and, you know, mountain bodies, seats and stuff like that for customers. Uh, but if it's if it's about what I love, you know, the high horsepower open stuff is my bread and butter. That's that's the stuff that I get up in the morning for if I'm going to the track. You know, we'll ride Predator or Clone or whatever, but you can count on it if we're running run with your brung or UAS or small black open. That's the one you're gonna see me get serious about. Gotcha. Um and that's kind of what we were talking a little bit before we started recording is um I get kind of tunnel vision on talking and talking to the people that do the type of racing that I was into, but a majority of probably the listeners as well as people reaching out were, have really been, uh, when I say backyard, I don't, I don't mean any lesser, just like different type of track, like the outlaw type tracks with the higher horsepower, um, a little less, like, I guess the rule packages are a little bit uh, more lenient, but it's what people can afford and kind of do themselves. So, um, so I appreciate you coming on here and, I mean, we'll talk about everything, but I know there's a lot of guys that run the higher horsepower and stuff that'll really be kind of tuning in. So, um, you know, I, at least, I mean, I appreciate that. I know a bunch of them will as well. Um, as far as, so when you're, um, what does your normal week look like? Like, like right now, are you guys running indoor races? Um, yeah, right now it's pretty much indoor across the board. Um, uh, 
as far as what my normal week looks like, I work, you know, two jobs through the week. I'm usually up at five in the morning to go to the first one. I'll work there until about one thirty, leave there, go to my second job, which is my full time and work two thirty to eleven. And then I'll come home, get in the shop, you know, roll some tires if they need to be rolled, wipe tires that need to be wiped. Uh, my dad does a really good job trying to keep the carts all together. I'll come home and wash them and stuff like that. And he'll reassemble those, go through engines, whatever we need done. And I pretty much am strictly on doing tires for us and customers during the week. Okay. And do you ever, I mean, do you help any guys or have guys that are running your, your, your tires and stuff that are running like the higher horsepower, more of like the backyard stuff like that like say outdoor i guess more outdoor yeah we've got a few customers that are uh you know strictly running a lot of these more backyard style tracks that we have around here um i've got thomas stakis that helps run with me he uh does a lot of uas open racing you know across the country so that doesn't really qualify as your backyard type deal but it's high Mm -hmm. horsepower for sure we've got a bunch of customers that, you know, will come and buy prep from us and stuff like that. I'll show up at a lot of these tracks and go and help them for a night, whatever I can do to kind of give back just a little to these guys. Cause they'll show up for a lot of these big indoor shows and, you know, be out to lunch. So mm-hmm. if I can help them a little bit through the year and they feel like they've got a better chance at coming in and running good, you know, they'll come and buy tires or whatever they need to when a big show rolls around and, I always say if you help them, they'll help you and be loyal. So that's kind of the motto that I take with it. No, definitely. Definitely. And you, so you said you also, you have some junior drivers that you help. Um, actually, I'm looking at a picture on your Facebook where um, it's a bunch of checks sitting around there. I see at least one with junior sportsmen, it looks like on there. Yeah. Um, our head kid right now for, STC is Bentley Mendoza. He's got two years of racing experience under him, and he's probably one of the best shoes I've seen in a go-kart in a long time, and I've been around it for a while. So around here, as far as juniors, I think that he's got some of the best talent that I've seen, and that's kind of how we picked him out of the crowd. But, yeah, that that weekend you're looking at with all the checks was over Mm -hmm. New Year's weekend. I think we won seven classes out of the nine that we entered, Mm -hmm. and – we won on just about everything you can think of from small block open to stock predator to junior. So that was a pretty impressive weekend with some of the good people that had showed up for that. I got you. Um, just out of curiosity, man, cause I have not, I've actually never even raced indoor before, like done tires or anything for indoors. Just um, never really got down to Williamson or anything like that. But for like a tire, it doesn't have to be the exact tire you ran that weekend, but how does a tire, like what is the difference of a tire to win an event, something like that with a junior one driver compared to, um, not that it has to be an open, but just like a higher horsepower type motor. So a lot of times we're running a Vega on our open stuff on indoor. If the track will actually yield itself to it, there's days that a Maxis is faster, obviously, but generally speaking, the Vega is going to have more rubber. It's going to be a little more durable. So on the high horsepower stuff, it yields itself to being a better tire. Most of the time, a lot of what I put on Bentley, as far as being a junior is actually, uh, 
I'll take my pull-offs off of, you know, a clone or something like that, flip them around, surface them up. And usually after a heat cycle or two, they make really good junior tires for indoor. So it kind of creates a cycle that works well because it's, I need new tires for the clone, for the, for the extra grip and then the fresh oils. But Bentley doesn't always need that. So instead of them having to buy new tires for indoor, usually I've got great pull-offs that work good for them because they've already had a little bit of prep to them. They've been cycled in. They've lost a little rubber, and they fit right perfect for what a junior kid needs. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. And, um, and, I mean, that's what we did, to be honest with you, when we raced back in the day. When we had um, Brandon and Alex, we would – like I said, the best tires from the adults, like as they got wore down, we would just go ahead and switch them over to the kids. And uh, and I tell a lot of guys, I don't think people getting into the sport realize, like, I think when you tell them, like, hey, like, go find a guy, get their takeoffs, like, you're going to be just as good. Like, from my point of view, anyway, like, you're literally going to be just as good for the first three or four years. There's no reason to to break your tire budget. I mean, you're better off to have three or four sets of takeoffs, you know what I mean, that you can actually kind of work with and have a you know, have a couple different options as opposed to going to buy one set of brand new ones and being stuck with that. When, like you said, for even like the predator stuff around here, local and the kids classes, um, it is actually the superior tire to have, you know? Absolutely. And I always, I can always kind of tell my customers that I always tell them, you know, be weary of the guy that's trying to sell you three sets of cut maxes when you really just need three sets of pull-offs. So Mm -hmm. a lot of times, you know, they don't realize first getting into it that, Hey, why are you taking this new tire and cutting all the rubber off of it when that one's, you know, already wore down, but Mm -hmm. it's, there's a lot that goes into that, that, you know, is obviously not related to sales. So they're, uh, a lot of people just don't know. And I think they get taken to the cleaners right off the bat before they kind of understand. Yeah, no, I definitely agree, man. I think that's from my point of view anyway, it's like one of the, the big, you know, one of the things that's really kind of developed through this is um, me saying something's probably not going to change anyone's mind. You saying something, maybe not change their mind, but if everyone that comes on here says the same thing, eventually people are going to realize, you know, it doesn't matter if it's, what we're talking about, I mean, generally across the board, like whether it be driving or talking with kids or parents or promoters, I mean, everyone's kind of that are at the top of their game are really kind of doing about the same thing, you know what I mean, for the most part. So I'm hoping if enough people hear it, eventually it'll kind of click. Because I know um, for me, when I actually learned tires, I had to see it before I actually could even comprehend it, you know. And that's the thing that I like about doing, you know, the tire deal that I have now. You know, I'm not Connell. I'm not Mollus. I'm never going to be. We're in the wrong area for that to happen. But it does give me more opportunities on the track. It gets my hands on tires more often so I can see what's going on with the rubber. So it, it doesn't just benefit them by having me help them. It benefits me by being able to actually touch the tires in a more steady rotation. Those things, you know, a Maxis can be a great tire at a week 23 and then you get down to a week 40 and all of a sudden they've got a bunch more oil in them and you've got to adjust the way that you're doing things based on how the tire is presently. And that's a big thing going from outdoor to indoor too. A lot of people think, you know, Oh, these maxes have gotten a lot harder as you know, the years went on and I'm like, well, in a way you're right because a lot of times they've been curing up, but the next thing you got to adjust to is it's also 28 degrees outside now versus 90. So, Everybody always wants to assume that the tires changed when in reality, it's just the weather around them has changed and they're not adapting to what's going on outside. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. And um, 
you know, I just want to emphasize the point. I've said this before too, that, um, you know, if you are a, a junior guy or a predator or just a local guy, when you find someone that you can get takeoffs from, uh, you will be like one of their favorite people. You know, like when I, that was, I mean, I got, I got paid to go away on the weekends to do tires, but I also, part of my deal was I got all the takeoffs to sell. And, um, and not that I was trying to make a killing, but you know, five, 10 bucks, you know, whatever attire. And like, that was like my kind of extra money that I would, you know, do whatever. Like I might eat lunch on it, but it's like, it's one of those little things that, um, you know, like you kind of build that relationship, like you're help, you're literally helping the, you know, that guy and then he can help you. And just, it's a good relationship that you guys can kind of grow on. So, um, uh, I don't know how you feel about that, but I, the people that bought my takeoffs, man, because I had two or three guys that just whenever I had them, I could text them. And um, it was just nice extra money for whatever, you know, date night or, you know, my kids baseball it doesn't matter. So absolutely. I completely agree. That's if you ever watch I'm on Facebook, you know, after every weekend, I'm like, hey, I've got some really good maxes for sale and, you know, five, ten dollars higher. And I usually don't have them for more than about 30 minutes just because I've always got the same five or six people that always call and say, Hey man, what, uh, how many can you ship or how many you got that are in good shape? Or, so I, I, that's always, you know, been a good working relationship. You know, you've always got somebody that can't afford brand new stuff, but you know, is constantly cycling out their old. So it yeah. makes it, it yields itself to better for everybody. Yeah, definitely. And uh, the, the one thing for anyone that is out there listening, the one thing that I I would like to kind of add to that is the whole caveat is try to get your takeoffs from the same source. Um, not that one's better than the other, but depending on what prep and stuff like that, it, it can kind of throw off when you're re-rolling and stuff like that. So you know, try to be consistent. It doesn't matter who it's from. Just be consistent so you know, like, you know, eliminating variables like we always talk about. But um, uh, So tell me a little bit about how how Dustin got started in uh, in racing, and how were you introduced to it? Uh, I was born into it for sure. My dad has uh, my dad Rusty Stegen was probably one of the best shoes in asphalt road course karting that ever came out of Illinois. The man's won Barnesville, Quincy in the Park, IKF Grand Nationals, WK Grand Nationals, all on stuff that he built on his own. Um, he started when he was 17 he's been doing it since so when i was born you know i fell right into the mold um i think my first time i ever sat in a go-kart i was four years old and it was the same cart that he had built in 80 that he was winning ikf and wk grand nationals with he just took the left rear uh frame rail and instead of it being a straight rail he just welded it in about four inches so that it was like an offset cart <laughs> and he had, and he had been riding it forever and still winning races on it. And then whenever I was old enough, he put it back together and that's what I started on. So, you know, I ran rookie and uh, junior one growing up. We had to race against people like Kevin Swindell and Ricky Stenhouse at our local track. So it was really, really competitive as a kid. And I was, I was lucky enough to win a couple of races up until I was about seven, around seven, I witnessed one of my friends have a really bad wreck while I was sitting on the grid. And I told my dad, Hey, I don't think I want to do this. And he said, not a problem, you know, just push the cart back to the trailer and wasn't mad, wasn't upset, nothing like that. And I just kind of let it go. And around 11, I decided that I was ready to start trying to race again. We got a junior sportsman champ. We had a twister that we bought 
and the first weekend out we set pole in one so that was kind of the hit and back to rolling <laughs> so what is it that um if you can remember but when you decided that you wanted to get back into it is it did you guys go to the race did you see a go-kart is it just something you had thought about my dad my dad was still racing the whole time i think i I was i had never he never quit he uh he's still racing to this day and he's 60 so (laughs) i like we uh, he's still one of the best guys to sit behind the seat that i've ever seen in my life of a high horsepower cart um we he would still go to the track and you know the go-kart just kind of sat in the corner he would ride it every now and then with an open two cycle on it you know not not thinking much of it you know i was just at the track playing with my friends just like i always did and one over the winter i told my dad before christmas i said hey it's like i think i want to race again i i started racing junior sportsman champ when i was 11 in that twister that we had um like i said the first night we went back out i was set on the pole and won which was you know four-year hiatus for me um you know, we didn't race anywhere, but one local track, which was a Toker Raceway Park, it had, you know, 150 carts a night. We'd pull 12 to 20 junior sportsman champs on a regular night. So mm. we've always had a pretty decent cart count locally and a lot of people to race against that were really good and actually could travel off and be fast even, you know, back in the WGA days. So we never had a problem with not having enough competition at home that, you know, we needed to travel. Right. And okay. So your, so your dad was racing the whole time and, you know, obviously like has a history in the sport. When you, when you were younger, do you remember any of the things that he like tried to point out to you and like really get you to, to understand or did he pretty much, because you were around it so much, he just kind of let you go out there and do your own thing. Um, is there anything that kind of sticks out or you remember? There's a funny story about that. There was one specific night we were out at Atoka, and they, it was a 500-to-win show. And we qualified second or third, you know, which was about the normal for me as a kid. You know, we were fast, just not always the fastest. We didn't spend a lot of money on new tires and stuff like some of the guys we were racing with. And I came off the track, and Dad said, hey, you're, you're third. And I'm like, and I threw a fit. And he said, what is wrong? I said, I am tired of losing. I want you to do whatever it takes to make us fast. He said, are you sure? I was like, yes, I'm tired of running second to these guys. And he started yelling at me. And I said, whoa, 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 what are you doing? (laughs) He said, you told me to fix what's making the slow, so I'm fixing it. And I said, (laughs) okay, go ahead. And ever since then, that's been the same working relationship we have. You know, it's, you know, it's, I come off the track and he's like, what are you doing? You know, burping it right there when you could trail break. And I'm like, I don't know. I didn't try it. I'm sorry. And, hmm. you know, that's just how I developed as a kid. It was always, you know, he could jump in the seat and do just what I, he told me to. And it'd be, you know, a tenth and a half faster. And I'd always have to sit there and just listen to it. You know, a lot of kids tell their parents well you think it's so easy you get in the seat and do it and i don't have that luxury because he's going to get in the seat and go faster than me the majority of the time so mm-hmm. i don't i don't have that same uh mantra as a lot of kids do when they just tell their kids to jump in if it's so easy yeah no doubt man how, how old are you now i am 25 25 and 
Uh, what I wouldn't give to be 25 again. <laughs> it's it's, it's, a, it's an exciting part of life for sure. That's always changing. Yeah, no, definitely, man. I think you're, you don't have any kids currently, right? No kids. Um, I'm in the middle of uh, divorcing currently, so that's a whole different story for another day. But uh, uh, yeah, back uh, to back to you know doing just the racing deal and it being me and dad and you know that's kind of how I prefer it. Yeah, uh, understandable, man. So, all right. So after you get back into champ carts and you're uh, so you're you know roughly eleven, twelve ish. When did you when did you jump back on um like the flat carts again? So. That happened after my junior year of high school. One of our local cart shop is Eraser Carts. He Enoch Sanders was a big time WK dirt guy. He ran a lot of Gold Cup stuff. He's one of you know the Moons or Todd Millers in my eyes of karting. Um, Enoch was building a cart called a Savage that he had been building for a while, and I was a junior in high school. We had been running, you know, the pro cart tour and some uh, tri-state stuff, and we were doing okay. You know, we could be a top five, top ten runner pretty consistently. And I got home one day, and Enoch said, "Hey, man," he said, "How come you're not running, you know, a clone or an animal or something?" I was like, "Man, I don't have the money to, you know, put a cart together and an engine and all that stuff. You know, I'm working out of a." four by eight homemade trailer that we pull behind a Honda. I don't have enough room to put another cart in there if I wanted to. And Enoch said, well, come and get this cart that we're working on. You know, you and Mitchell can ride them and, you know, we'll see what happens. So we took a Savage up to Martin, Tennessee for the King of Kings deal. Um, and we started, you know, last in every heat and ran, won a couple, finished second in a couple and, you know, had a really good weekend. And we got home. And I went to the cart shop on Monday at lunch and Enoch said, you must have a good weekend. I said, well, why do you say that? He said, cause everybody's called complaining about your driving. He's like, usually that means you were fast. And I was like, well, I was like, you know, we did pretty good. I hadn't sat in the seat of a flat cart in a while. We were, we were pretty fast. And he said, well, they said, let's just keep this little deal rolling. He said, you know, you just keep the cart and ride it. He said, you know, if somebody wants to buy it, sell it to them and you know, we'll, keep you under one and that's kind of how i got back started running you know flat cart stuff as an adult and it just hasn't stopped since okay. and what kind of motor was that on again um, we were running clones around here when okay. that happened you know we still had some animal classes too which i much prefer the animal to the clone just personally but i we, uh, I, I agree and i think a lot of people off air have agreed with you as well <laughs> I, I think that briggs had the perfect engine platform and uh you know with everything that happened with wk at the same time you know it just kind of put a put a damper on it but i still believe and always will that the animal was the perfect engine platform for the cart stuff because you know it was just the right amount of horsepower that you couldn't run wide open most places but mm -hmm. they were so durable and lasted forever in you know terms of valve train and stuff compared to what a clone does yeah, clone no, feels I, like a throwaway motor i i agree man i mean i haven't i didn't ride them just even just tires it just seems like you said man like you, you summed it up the, that motor the animal motor on the flat carts it's it's almost like the perfect you know mold or whatever it just uh i don't know i like said man i'll be the first person to tell you like you won't ever hear me talking about um motors on here because i went for the chassis and the tires route you know i mean i've built a couple of chassis back in the day and i just 
motors were just they they changed so quick or you know so quick for me it just for me it was like a no-win situation i'd have the patience for uh for something like that yeah luckily for me a lot of our open high horsepower stuff we don't have that problem and uh i've got you know tyler harshman building our stuff and he does absolutely some of the best work i've ever seen in my life when it comes to engines and he's such a good friend of mine and i've been fortunate enough to ride a lot of his open stuff for him and i can honestly say that makes a huge difference just having reliability in an engine package especially in the horsepower stuff for sure yeah absolutely i know uh we used to kind of joke back in the day when i was helping helping austin hover from delaware when he ran junior one his dad would always say He's like, you know, we could go run four cycle open. All we have to do is just finish the race. We'll finish in the top three or four in points for the national series. Because like you said, man, you'll get 10 or 12 go-karts. And by the end of it, there's three out there left, you know, back in the day. You know what I mean? I know it's different now. but um, And you said you were bringing up uh, Tyler Harshman. I've, um, I've like kind of come across some of his pictures and work and stuff like that on on Facebook and stuff. How long have you been hooked up with him? Is he so, in your area also? He is not. He is actually closer to you. He is from Smithsburg, Maryland. Okay. So, so that's why, okay. That's why I, cause I was kind of like trying to put the two together. Cause I thought he was a little bit closer. I think I was thinking he was in PA, but sorry, sorry. Go ahead. So <laughs> Tyler and me got hooked up when the small block open class became a big deal around home. So what had happened was this me and dad were at Talladega. Um, we were running the UAS stuff like we always do when I was in college and we were watching small block open down there and Flip Carden and J.R. Tippins had these Harshman animals on. And I told my dad, I said, Hey, watch Flip and Tippins. They're going to be, you know, a mile and a half ahead of everybody else. He's like, well, he's like, you know, there's some pretty good folks here. I was like, yeah. So, but they've got a Harshman animal built on, put on. And he said, well, what's so special about him? I said, Tyler boasts 48 and a half horsepower out of a 14.5 billet headed animal. And my dad looked at me and said, you're crazy. Well, at the end of the night, flipping Tippins about half track third, which is probably the dude that finished third was Buddy Anderson. And in my opinion, he's probably one of the hottest open drivers in the country. And at the end of the night, dad looked at me and said, look, if we're going to go and race something else, he said, I want that. <laughs> I said, yeah, me too. So that's uh, where it actually started with me and Tyler. Um, we bought a recon and we were getting ready to start building everything for a small block open. And I called Tyler and I said, Hey man, I said, uh, I seen this engine that you've got a uh, flip card and JR Tippins on. I said, what's a man got to do to get his hand on one of those. He said, I won't sell it. I said, excuse me. He said, that engine's not for sale and none of the parts on it are for sale. And I said, well, that's that kind of puts a damper on things i said well well what will you sell me he said well you know he said what are you looking for and i said you know 14.5 cubic inch animal i said you know that i can run anywhere he said well i can fix you up with that so you know we bought a 14.5 cubic inch animal just like what you'd run an open modified anywhere in the country and you know it kind of developed from there we went to clay city for the 10,000 to win uh that ended up not being 10,000 to win small block race and Tyler was there, and he was bringing me one of his really nice billet-headed animals to run. We got there, and, you know, me and Tyler had been talking, you know, probably every other day, just back and forth about engine stuff. And when we got to Clay City, he said, you know, hey, bolt this thing on, and, you know, we'll worry about the rest of, you know, getting squared up and even later. And his brother Jeremy went out there and laid down the quick lap of the day, was leading, ran out of fuel. It was kind of a cluster. 
and we started, you know, 19th. We were really missing on tires, and we drove all the way up to fourth, and I looped it coming out of four, coming to the checker, just didn't have any grip to start with and really didn't have any at the end. And we got done with the day, and me and Tyler were talking, and um, he was running a Tillerson carburetor on it, you know, which is the norm for open stuff. And I said, man, you need to get hooked up with these guys over at Electron Fuel Systems. I said, it's basically like fuel injection, but in a carburetor, said it meters itself. And I said, you won't have that fuel problem. So I got one, and he got a couple and was testing them. And, you know, we developed more of a working relationship before we developed a friendship. But, man, Tyler's one of my best buds now. He flew, he flew down to Batesville to help out. He flew down at New Year's. I'm actually riding a slack for him right now. And, you know, it's been a really good working deal because we can trade off a lot of, you know, parts and pieces. He's got, you know, his engine stuff. I've got a good deal with Vega, them sponsoring me. So I try to help him out with that. So it's a business relationship that flourished into a really, really good friendship. And all that said and done, he's just the only guy that I trust to build anything for me. Cool, man. Um, and Tyler, if you're listening, man, reach out, try to get you on here as well. Uh, so let's, all right, so let's get back to your racer, man. I want to kind of like dig into um, your tire situation for like the bigger horsepower stuff. And, uh, you know, anyone listening to it, it doesn't matter. I could have Ron Moon come on here and tell you what he was doing to tires and someone on the internet's going to tell, tell him why he's wrong or something. So this is everything we talk about is what's worked for us. And, um, so with that being said, do you generally, what's the brand tire that you run a majority of? Around home, um, pretty much everything's open tire. I'd say 80% of the time you're going to catch me on a Vega. Um, and I don't say that because they sponsor me. I say that because generally it is the better tire. Mm-hmm. Um, we we run some Maxis, we run some Burris, but if it's open tire rule, the first thing I'm going to try is always going to be a Vega. Um, it's the sidewall strength, the shape of the profile of the tire, everything just kind of conducts itself to being a really good open tire. And so far it hasn't really proven me wrong. Um, you know, we'll roll them, you know, depending on where we're going anywhere between 45 cc's and 90, uh, you know, I'll flip edges a lot more on the open because it does wear tires quicker. Um, you know, they're usually only good for a weekend at best on an open. For so when you're rolling the inside, you know, like say 45 and 50 cc's, like something like that, are you using are you on more of a like an aggressive prep that's going to stay in the tire for a while? Are you on something that's going to kind of dry out a little bit quicker? So I use everything I use is coming from Andy Murray. Um, the magic, yes, (laughs) gambler. Gambler has been my deal for five years now. That's pretty much exclusively what I've had. Um, I I roll, you know, anywhere between 40 and 90 cc, 45 and 90 cc's of his normal inside. You know, I'm not mixing Mm -hmm. anything with it, not doing anything special. Just pour it out the gallon. Like, no, it's, it's, it's the most consistent chemical I've ever seen in my life. Um, you know, I, I pour it straight out the gallon, just like every other person does put it on the inside, roll them. Know anywhere between twelve and twenty-four hours, depending, and size them up and get them ready. I mean, it's there's no magic to it. It's just doing the little things the same way every time. Now on the Vega, I'm I'm really not 
uh, too familiar with the Vegas. We've only we ran them a few times back in the day, uh, and really it was more or less we didn't prep on the inside on the clones or the animals. It was always when it was like raining that day or something, and we we had to get a tire punching twenty five or so. But um, as far as the Vegas, do you generally on the higher horsepower stuff stick more to inside? Are you also wiping on the outside? during the week at the track how how do they hold up under the horsepower so a lot of what happens in the open car open racing is i think a lot of people overwipe and make tires greasy and tear them up that way um mm -hmm. you know i am i will ease up on it during the week you know we'll do you know four or six wipes if we're going to an indoor show on the outside where i might do you know two or three on a clone so we're wiping more at the track, I try to I try to keep the principle of if I've got to wipe more than twice, then I probably need to start with a different tire. Um, are you using? I'm sorry. Are you using Andy's orange on the outside during the week? So I, my outside chemicals through the week vary between uh, AT2, Black Sand, Orange, or Andy's Blue. Those are my four that you know, like depending on what time of the year we're in, I'm going to use some mix of either one, two, or you know, all of those. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't, you know, go wiping, you know, like purple at home a lot for an open or anything like that. You know, just crazy. Right. Now, there's days that we have to, but you know, on the normal day, we're not wiping. You know, just crazy aggressive stuff at home. And the orange makes a, a really, really good base. I think that's probably one of the most overlooked chemicals in carding that really does, you know. The, its job really well mm -hmm. and uh yeah you touched on the purple man to this day if there's a little bit of moisture i would put my life on the tires on maxis to put some purple on the outside to fire those things off man you, you get them a little warm and hit them with purple oh, i promise God. you it's it's the, it's the magic i mean andy says it's the prep that put him in business and i tell him it's like track tax black sand i said it's the only prep you could have made and you could have had a business yeah, that's, that, that's a good way to put it, man. That's a great way to put it. And uh, yeah, I, back I, I sell, when, I probably sell six gallons of that stuff a week, easy. Uh, I'm sure, man. Why wouldn't you? We um, when so Alex White's older brother Brandon, when he was really into it, um, we were running Galaxy Carts and Miss You, and that's when when Andy was there with bowling, and uh, we were running his prep a lot, man. And uh, see the purple stuff. It just, especially back in the day, like in the fall more on like the local level I mean, we could just wipe some takeoffs you know put the takeoffs back on wipe them on the outside really just using the durometer to guide it and um it's just you could just couldn't beat it you know what i mean like that's there was nothing to it um, but anyway um do you on the the guys that you're helping in like the junior sports and classes and things like that are they also on an open tire rule are they more on the maxis how does that work out there where you guys are a lot of our indoor stuff is open tire rule. Um, okay. And they're going to generally be on a Maxis because, you know, the Vega's just a little too much grip for what they can, you know, use. I mean, they don't mm -hmm. have any horsepower. The roll speed's not quite there with the Vega just because of the way that it does grip. Mm -hmm. um, but generally, I'm on Maxis with them because that's what they're kind of, they kind of need. Um, you know, all the way up until the clone, you know, even with the Predator and stuff, generally we're on a Maxis. The clone, it starts to transition to where, you know, you might be able to run a really thin Vega and make it work, or you can run, you know, a fresher Maxis. So at that point, it's a toss up. But when it comes to the open stuff, unless the track's just really good, you're going to find me on a Vega. Okay. And for some of the guys that are listening at home that maybe run, you know, the higher horsepower stuff on more of like an outlaw type track. So 
the sir i mean generally the outlaw tracks around here like kind of like the more the backyard tracks they have like a hard base to it but it's still just dirt and sand for the most you know kind of so it's, it has that hard surface but without a whole lot of grip if you were going to go with even if it it doesn't have to be your open but just like a higher horsepower part and you could only take three sets of tires with you like how just and just roughly like how would you kind of stagger those tires? not stagger but how would you prepare those tires to have like a nice little buffet to choose from um I'm probably gonna take a set of yellow thicks a set of Vega whites and then a set of Maxis because I know that that's going to cover every base I need. Mm-hmm. Um, the yellows, I'm probably going to wipe, you know, Andy Murray orange on, on them, you know, three or four times during the week because every tire needs a base. Um, I'd get over to the whites. The whites can be your intermediate compound. You know, if your yellows are punching 40 after you're done rolling them, I'm going to want my, my whites to be about 40 six to 48 probably going to wipe them with uh, a good mix of orange and maybe black sand with it in case the track's a little drier mm-hmm. um and then the maxis i'm probably gonna you know roll them a little bit until they punch about 52 to 54 in case the track does you know clean off and get a single single groove that's going mm-hmm. but you know i might bump up on wiping them to something you know like gambler blue with a little black sand mixed in because if you're if the track's going to dry out then you can already you know guarantee that you're going to need the kind of grip that black sand provides regardless of you know what class you're running so that's going to be my melody if i had to take three sets of tires i'm going to take those three okay cool man i appreciate that um when you on the bigger horsepower stuff when you get into a rut, um, you know, maybe, maybe you're just kind of doing the same things and, and we all go through it if you're in it long enough several times, but you know, you're doing the same things and it's just not working. Like what are some of the, what are some of the basics that you kind of get back to, to try to figure out, um, where you have missed something or need to improve to kind of get your program back, kind of pointed in the right direction, so to speak. The first thing I'm going to look at whenever I'm running the horsepower stuff is I'm going to look at my tire selection. I'm going to say, okay, I said, you know, are we are we not re-rolling enough? Or are we too far out of, you know, the age of the tire? Are we not wiping enough at home? And if I feel like my tire program's there, you know, if somebody that's running the other high horsepower stuff with me is doing fine and it's just mine struggling, then the next thing I'm going to go look at is I'm going to go and look at cart. Um, you know, anytime you start hanging an 80 pound engine off of a chassis, you know, you're working a whole lot more, uh, moving parts a lot harder, you know, whether it be an axles, you know, losing its flex or the chassis losing its flex, or, you know, maybe your bearings are slopping around inside that lube rings or whatever, you know, anytime you go adding horsepower, you add problems. So you've got to be on top of your maintenance. You know, you've got to watch your, your spindles your axles all that stuff that you know you can go 15 to 18 races on on a clone you know you've got to start looking at them in about three or five so anytime you add weight and add horsepower you add wear so you've always got to stay on top of your maintenance with them so that's the next thing i'd look at and then if all else fails and i know this sounds weird coming from a guy talking about racing horsepower but engines always the last thing that i look at because 90% of the time, the right set of tires is going to make you feel like you're on a rocket ship regardless. But there always comes that time where, you know, an engine might be getting weak and you're actually getting out horsepower. But very rarely will you ever hear me say, you know, uh, oh, we don't have enough 
motor to make it work today. You know, there's there's situations that I would say that, but on your average local night, I'm probably not going to get, you know, out horsepower. I'm probably getting out tired. <laughs> do you do you get down to um, like, do you go to the Big O? Do you run there? I didn't go to. I didn't go to the Big O. I haven't been. Um, I haven't been to Patriot since it was Iron City, um, mm-hmm. which is now coming back around now. Yeah. Um, now my buddy Thomas did. He uh, he went and ran fifth last year at the Big O and Unlimited. Um, he didn't run Limited Modified or Open Modified or anything like that. But um, you know, he went over there, went on his own, and I mean, did really good for himself. You know, mm-hmm. just took a few sets of Maxes, a few sets of Vegas, and you know, qualified in the show and UAS and ran pretty good, you know, lap time wise. So I've had, I've got people that go over there, but my, me personally, I haven't been, um, we did go to the Wayne Overton this year, um, mm-hmm. at Dumplin Valley, which was the first time I'd been back to Dumplin Valley since I was about seven. Um, we qualified 11th out of 48 or 50 and open modified. And I think we qualified 16th or 17th and limited modified. So, you know, we're not Burris guys, but you mm-hmm. know, that worked pretty good what uh do there actually there's a couple of things i'm gonna go back to so um well one what type of burst were you on like when you run burst there for that race like how, just roughly like how were the tires prepared because i don't i think it's closed down right so we're not going it back is, nah yeah. semi semi round burst you know on the limited we were about 35 to 45,000 thick on the open. We were about 50 to 60,000 thick. Um, basically, no air, you know, real low, you know, one and a half, two pounds on the open, sure. you know, about two and a half on the limited. Uh, we rode Triton and limited modified and the recon and open. So um, I had a lot of help on Burris from uh, Chase Cottle and Brian and Bo Billings over at BRB out of Kentucky. So they, uh, they pointed me in the right direction before we ever left the house. But that's the nice thing about a burgers, man. You just you surface it up, make sure it's sized, and then you go to the track, and that's where all the work really starts. Right, and I, and the reason I was I was curious is I know um, if you listen to Phil Snyder's, like we talked about tires there, and and I and you know he was just talking about the difference in tires, and that was like one of the tracks, you know, and, and he was kind of attributing it to more of the the size of the track. You're carrying a lot more speed, and when we were talking about cut tires and stuff, so I was just kind of curious, my own personal. Um, but I one thing I wanted to go back to because. When you said um, it's going back to Iron City from Patriot, right? Yeah, yeah. I see. I was looking. I was on Facebook the other day, and like, I, I was like, I mean, I'm almost forty, so I was like, man, am I losing my memory? Because it was weird to me. Because like, when I was there before, we won the Lucas Oils race there with Brandon White, and um, in '09, and it was Iron City, I thought, and then it went to Patriot, and then I saw Iron City again, and I was a little confused as far as like what was going on there. So. Uh, I, I guess it, did they change ownership or anything like that, or they just changed Apparent, the name. Apparently, whoever was um, either leasing it or owned it is leasing it out again, and uh, I don't know all the details, so I won't speak on it too much. But I'm pretty sure it's got something to do with Boomer Hulk. Um, so we'll uh, we'll see as the year goes on. You know what all happens. You know if Boomer's got the place, you can almost guarantee that it's going to step up a whole quality notch. So it'll it'll think it'll be interesting. I think they said that they're going to have the Maxis Nationals there this year. Um, obviously, they'll have the Big O there. So I think that you'll see, you know, Iron City become one of the premier facilities again here pretty soon. That's awesome, and actually, I'd <clears throat> I'd like to get Boomer on here when I was talking to uh, 
to Mackie Flood, and I know they're having the Fat Daddy coming up pretty soon. And um, it, it's that's, kind of inter- I'm sorry, go ahead. I think that's an Iron City now, also. Yeah, Don't. no, it absolutely, and that's where I saw it because I, um, you know, kind of keeping up with him after the podcast we did, and I know he's kind of putting on the, the Fat Daddy and stuff like that, and um, you know, hoping they have a big show there. I um, it just kind of like from my perspective, because like I said, I'm in Delaware, so I'm just kind of looking, and you're, we're kind of like the same thing. We're kind of like outside the southeast, but it almost looks like um like the different people that are behind some of the tracks that are going on in the series. And it's, it's kind of like a little land grab right now, you know, not only between Burris and, and Maxi's, but just between different promoters and stuff. It's uh, it's kind of interesting to see from afar, you know I mean? I don't know any insider information, but just kind of from afar, just kind of seeing uh, like how it's all kind of evolving and kind of wondering where it's going to go and how it's going to end up at the end. So it's going to be kind of interesting. I think it'll be good to be honest with you, but um Anytime that there's competition, the only people yeah. that benefit and lose are the racers, in my opinion. So, <laughs> it, you know, they start tossing money around, and it's great for the racers that want to go on money chase. And then you get some racers that, you know, can't afford to keep both, you know, both brands of tires, and that hurts those. So, it, just like anything else, it's a win-loss, you know. You just got to pick, you know, your battles. Yeah, I, I do agree, man. I, I, mean, I absolutely agree with that on that level. I think something that I'm coming to realize is because of all the battling going on for like the bigger races, I really think that it kind of leaves open. If you're a local track, like, you know, back in the day, like you had to do whatever WK was doing to be sanctioned and get the divisional transfers and things like that. I think, I think carding in a way, if you have a local track and that's your bread and butter, like in my opinion, now is the time to run and make the classes and the tire rules that best benefit you to grow the sport. And I think ultimately the more people do that on the local level, the more of a feeder program that's going to be for the higher level. So I'm, I don't know that people are willing to do that. I think everyone kind of wants the money that they get from certain places to run certain things. So um, I don't know, man, I'm just kind of, I'm learning a lot. I, I, I definitely don't have answers. I have a lot more questions and, uh, and that's part of what I'm doing too. It's just kind of like, I just like hearing some of the behind the scenes stuff. And I'm sure you, you know, you know a lot about that as well. I see that's the biggest problem with carding, in my opinion, also, is that we've lost our base. You know, we keep watering the leaves way out on the tree, but we're not giving any attention to the base, which is your local racer. You know, you can't, you're not going to have any tracks left if all you do is go and race money shows and the local tracks all close up, then you don't have any tracks to even go to. So I think that the sport really needs a, a single sanctioning body, one set of engine rules, um, and you'll see carding grow back to what it was i think we're just on that downhill slide right now of the cycle and have yeah. been for quite some time yeah I, th- I think so man and um like i said i'm hoping i've joked around before like i definitely don't have money to do it or know the people but you know i'm hoping kind of maybe through some conversations i mean i'm there's some pretty high level guys like and you know not just in carding that listen to this and hopefully through word of mouth or something, all it takes is one person to hear the story and to reach out to Billy Bob to get something going. You know what I mean? And uh, so maybe, maybe this is the platform that'll help that. You know? So I don't know. We'll see. But um, I'm kind of hopeful. And I and kind of now we're talking about that. I mean, you've you've been around racing for a while. You obviously have a history. You know, also with your dad. Um, when you guys, I mean, do you guys talk about racing a lot, like on your trips and things like that? Like as far as like the current state of it and maybe like the possibilities of where it could go or where it might fall to? I don't know. Like how do you guys talk about 
we talk we talk about it a lot you know we always talk about how everything in karting is a cycle you know old information becomes new technology again you know 20 years down the road and i think the same applies with series and stuff like that me personally i don't i don't enjoy chasing points i don't feel want to feel like i'm locked into going to something that looks like a rain out if you know i'm gonna have to drive five hours to go um i'd much rather you know pick and choose where i want to go based on you know my tire selection that week and you know how much money i've got to spend on new rubber i don't want to feel like i'm locked into the hole i've got to buy two new sets of maxis every you know every week to stay on top of a cycle so you know local money racing for us is kind of you know my bread and butter you know if they've got a 500 to one small block race with a 300 to one predator you're probably gonna catch me there um Mm -hmm. you know if it's an hour from home i don't have any reason to pass that up and i might not even you know win or run second but it cost me a lot less to go and do that with the tires already had versus you know running off to somewhere you know like dogwood or beaver creek where i'd have to get some new burris and cut them or running up to uh you know clay city or somewhere like that you know these five or six hour drives that i'd have to make and not be fully prepared yeah no i agree my my younger brother um, got back into racing a couple of years ago and he never really he just raced locally and stuff like that but uh, in his first year back into it just racing clone at um at ace atkins who has whole shot clutches like he raced over his place and i think he won like 1500 bucks that year and it's 15 minutes from his house he was on takeoffs i think from richie horns you know it's like and he made more money than half the kids that are going to uh they travel around you know running whatever they were you know i mean running the back of all these classes and stuff and not I spent think- any of the money I think that that's the biggest problem with carding today is that you see these people dive into it and then just spend thousands and thousands of dollars and, you know, equipment and tires and stuff. And then they're out of it a year later. And I tell everybody, I said, find a level you can afford, have fun with it and don't kill yourself trying to be, you know, Todd Miller, you know, not everybody's going to be a Todd or a Connell or, you know, a a Shea Chavis or whatever, you know, we all had to start somewhere. I mean, I'm, I'm never going to be one of the go- those guys myself. I don't have that kind of money to spend. I don't have the, the corporate backing that a lot of those guys do, but you know, you find your niche where you can make it, you know, happen. And then if you want to go and strive to run with those guys, you know, take three or four times a year, save up your, your dollars, eat, you know, off the dollar menu for a week or two, and then go do it. You know, you can still say, hey, I've been there and I've raced with them. And a lot of times, you know, if you if you play your cards right, you can pick some tracks and go and be competitive with those guys. You know, it's more about knowing, you know, your limitations and abiding by them than it is, you know, blowing every dollar you've got and then going and running, you know, 24th or even not making a show. So I think that a lot of people just jump into it and get disheartened so quick that they leave when they they skipped all the steps to get there. Yeah, I I agree, man. A, a post I almost made a while back on Facebook is, um, I mean, I don't know if this would make sense to anyone, but I mean, as a tire guy, so to speak, or whatever, a crew chief, whatever it is, like um, I was or is, I mean, we won Daytona Dirt World Championships. Uh, we won the Lucas Oil $8,000 race. So we won a Max Daddy 10000 the next time after that that you go win a three thousand dollar race or a two thousand dollar race, like it's not the same. And I think that people overlook the process to get where they want to go. And then when they finally get there, it's like, 
you know what I mean? Like all of a sudden you kind of feel lost. And I, and you know, it's maybe it's not the same for the guys that are winning three or four grand every weekend, but I know for us, like, you know, we win a big race and we go win two grand again. It's like, uh, it's like, and, and a couple of years ago, the win two grand, we've been jumping up and down doing cartwheels back to Delaware. You know, it's, it's a weird little thing that, um, you know, I think people think they want what they want and really, uh, I think enjoying the process, uh, a lot of things that uh, some of my best memories have been just traveling to the track and, the soundtracks that we've played during race day and foods and hotel shenanigans and stuff like that. And um, I think a lot of people overlook that sometimes that, that kind of get into it and think they want to go win like the biggest races everywhere, you know, that's the whole experience, you know, it's a cumulative experience, you know, it's the trip there. It is, you know, the time that you spend with your friends or family or whoever you've got going with you. A lot of my best memories are like you said, just riding up and down the road, the conversations I've had with people, um, you know, there's a lot of times that you get to the track and the day sucks. I mean, you can have a just absolutely terrible day at the track, get in the truck and you all look at each other and go, wow, that was a clusterfuck. What do we do now? Well, I guess <laughs> let's go to Waffle House. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that, that's just, you know, I think that aspect of it, a lot of people just miss out on. They think, you know, the day was bad and that's it. You know, you just you go home and get ready for the next one. But that's what we do. You know, we, we have a bad day. We get in the truck. We talk about everything we think we could have did different. And then we go and eat and we're, we, we start over back at square one the next weekend, wherever we're going. You know, we get home, clean everything up, make sure everything looks like it should and start getting ready again. You know, if you let it, if you get disheartened by one bad weekend, you probably weren't going to make it very long in the sport anyways. No, and I'll tell you something else. There's a lot of people, and you can probably uh, probably agree to this too. There's a lot of people that that you know that you've known for racing and stuff like that. You know, they talk about, oh, if I could only have this set of tires, or if I could go do this or do that. And then every once in a while, like one or two people, like they'll slip in and kind of travel with you. And it's like after one weekend, they're ready to like, and all they had to do was like push the buggy or something like that, you know. It's like they can't even do that, let alone go eight, nine, ten weeks in a row traveling eight hours to a track. I mean, it's it's a whole different commitment. And I think a lot of people want the results or, you know, but they're not even willing to even attempt to make that effort. And uh, not that everyone can just make the effort. I mean, it takes money, too. But um it's it's a combination. You it's a it's something that you've got to be completely dedicated to 24 hours a day thinking about it, you know, finding better ways to do what you're doing, talking to people that are doing better than you if they're willing to communicate with you, trying to build those relationships so that you know, I know you're big on staying in the trailer and keeping to yourself when you're at the track, but <laughs> if 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 I get lost, man, I'm going to go and I'm going to go bend some ears, you know, if if I'm four and a half tenths five tenths off i'm gonna go and find somebody that you know i've helped before if they're fast i'm gonna be like hey man it's time to it's time to pay up on that last favor you know give me give me some direction just of what you're doing you know and i might have been way out in left field they might be over here wiping straight goat pee when i'm over here trying to light wipe up to you know whatever i need i mean that's a very drastic scenario but i mean i've had it happen so you know and it, it, sometimes it is a matter of it's just like oh well i wasn't wiping aggressive enough and that fixes it so right I mean, there's, yeah. there's there's days yeah and uh and look and i'll be honest i i did see this trailer and uh, only because i just you know i just wanted to i'm not i don't even think that, like i was good at tires like i think that i'm good at assessing the tire and what it did and making adjustments to get better it's not like i'm like oh i'm just gonna go here and do this but the thing is, Alex and Brandon's dad, Brian, is like the pit whisperer. I mean, 
he, I mean, he knows, you know, he talks to Daniel. I mean, he's friends with a lot of these guys. And um, so he always knew. So, I mean, if we ever really got off, off, um, he'd be like, hey, man, you want to know? I'd be like, no, no, no. Because it just messed me up on my train of thought. It would kind of throw me off. But there are times where I'm like, hey, man, what's, you know, what's Daniel? Like, what's going on? Just to kind of get us in the right direction or moving moving in the right area. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there, there's, I mean, you definitely have to do a little bit of everything. I mean, it's, it's having those couple people that you trust. You know, Jared Jackson was on his, you know, his dad, Jeff Jackson, man, known him since I started traveling. And there are certain people that I go to when I am in a slump. And um, I'm kind of rambling here. But, you know, one thing that I, I kind of want to talk about, too, are um, a lot of times the questions you ask kind of dictate the answers you're going to get. Like, you can go ask someone, like, hey, what, what tire are you on? But I know we ran Jerry Mollis' stuff. I mean, there was – I talk, I literally talked to him one time about tires when he ran his prep. And I went to him and said, hey, man, I'm not – I don't care what you're on. I was like, but what are you – because we were struggling. We were we were qualifying good, but we just were not firing off in the race. And I was like, what, like, what adjustments do you make from qualifying to the race? And he was like, oh, a couple weeks here, a couple weeks there, whatever. So to me, that meant more going forward than him telling you what tire he was on. Does that, absolutely. Does that make sense at all? Yeah. I, I, absolutely. I, and I tell everybody that, you know, uh, it kind of it kind of comes full circle. But it, it you get the information you ask for, just like you said. You know, I don't want to know what. I want to know why, and I want to know how. You know, it's it, because it's all a learning process for me. If you if I walked up to you and you said, "Oh, I'm on a 60 cc unrerolled, you know, eight week tire," okay why like tell me what your you know your logic is so that i can keep that in my note you know i can make a note of it and they go oh you know an eight's a better than a 10 the 10 is just too cured out or the six is too fresh you know 60 doesn't kill the sidewall as much that's why i'm there and you know i'm going to take that back to the trailer and you know i might not have that tire i tell people that all the time i will tell you exactly what i have on because the likelihood of you having the exact same tire in your trailer is very slim I don't have anything to hide, you know. I, I could put them on you, or you can go in your trailer and find what you have that's closest to it, or whatever. Out here, it's not that critical, you know. We're not keeping up with, you know, a cycle like they do in the southeast nearly as much because we're wiping the crap out of tires. But, you know, it's always about the why and the how. I don't want to. I don't care about what, you know, what's going to make me fast, but why and how is going to make me able to be fast on my own without the assistance. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely, man. I think um, and a lot, a lot of people that have been on here kind of alluded to the same thing. I know Chris Harris, like he really went in depth on tires, and he was saying the same thing. You know, like I can go ask Matt kind of what he's on, but I don't have that tire, so it doesn't really matter. You know what I mean? And uh, but uh, kind of another little funny guy. I know that you're, uh, you know, you run Andy Murray stuff, but back when he was with Bowling and uh, and we went with Matt Bowling, and we were racing with Brandon, and we were we we're definitely we were right there. Um, like running pretty good, but Andy was really good about um, like if, <laughs> kind of like dictating that conversation too, because he would ask you what you were on before you had a chance to say anything to him. If that makes sense, he'd be like, "Oh, so what do you think? You know, what are you on?" <laughs> and it's kind of like, <laughs> like he puts you in like the information. It's so funny, man. Crazy to cracking up. Andy, Andy is probably one <laughs> of the best teachers like in the prep game. You know, it, it's exactly like you said. He's gonna ask you what you're doing. And then he's going to either give you a look like, I don't know about that. Or he's going to sit there and ponder on it for a minute and be like, oh, I can see that working. And that's mm-hmm. I, I like working with Andy because he tells you the why and the how. You know, he doesn't just say wipe orange. 
he said, I would do this because X, Y, Z. And you go, that makes sense. You gave me a logic. I'm going to go with it. Not that I would ever second guess Andy anyways, but when you explain it to me, I'm much more likely to keep that and take a mental note of it. And, you know, I would love to be able to just go and be, you know, I just want to go and buggy push for Donnie and Andy one weekend because, you know, I think that a lot of people lose sight of, you know, it's not about getting paid in cash. You know, if you're learning, that's that's the best payment you can receive. So there's a lot of times I'd like to just go and drive over there and push a cart around for them and ask the why and the how during the day because it's it's making notes for me. No, definitely, man. I and I always have like a a little saying I used to say, and uh, I'll probably get some T-shirts with it one day. But I'm like, loyalty equals two tenths. You know what I mean? And just sticking with the people, and um, you know, sometimes it's not literally two tenths, but if you stick around, it's going to definitely benefit you and your program. Uh, it's kind of like off subject here. I'm um, talking about Andy Murray, but his his son Bryson was he? Is that the Bryson Murray that was racing a couple weeks ago? Um, at like an indoor race, or no? Was it yeah. last weekend? At, no, was it possible? He ran at Possum. He ran at Possum. He he won, uh, I think he won amateur at Williamson on Friday night, too. Okay, yeah, yeah. He's been racing a little bit. That's cool. I remember when he, when he was, this was back in like 08 or 09 or whatever we were running. And uh, I know Bryson was small then. He was racing a little bit, then he kind of got out of it. But um, it's good, man. I I think Andy's the best tire guy that I've ever been around, you know, from my opinion, you know, and that's, that's saying a lot in my opinion, but he is by far and away one of the smartest dudes I think I've ever held a conversation with. And there's, I, whenever I call Andy, I can promise you I've got a notebook and a pen sitting in front of me. Cause he's <laughs> going to tell me something that I wasn't thinking about, you know, when it comes to cycling a tire or whatever, and he'll say, Oh, well, you know, this is what we've been doing. And I'm sitting there scratching notes down real quick, like a kid in college, <laughs> because you know, that's, that's how it feels with Andy. You know, he's, He's an instructor. He's not just going to tell you what to do. He's going to explain it if you'll let him, you know. <laughs> well, yeah, well, and we were we were talking a little bit earlier about um about people's shops and stuff like that. You're like, man, I really like to see Brian Bradford's shop. And uh, and uh, when we got some carts, uh, some galaxies when Andy was selling them, I was like, man, I can't wait to go to his shop. I was so excited. And I, we got there, and uh, I mean, you know, out in, on like an old farm or whatever. But it's like the old farmhouse, like a dirt. Um, a dirt floor and stuff in it. And I'm like, man, if people saw like where Andy Murray, the magic man was in here creating, uh, you know what I mean? It's just, it was crazy that it, it takes a lot less than what people think. You know what I mean? And uh, that's Dick it, it Trickle just, said it. Dick Trickle said it best. It's not the size of the shop you work in. It's the size of the work you do in the shop. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. So, all right. So we're going to stop talking about Andy Murray. Maybe he'll come on. <laughs> Talk to him. But uh definitely, definitely a good guy. Shout out to Andy. Um uh over the years, what are some of um what are some of your favorite tracks? And I know you're not a big points guy, but what are some of his favorite series and stuff maybe from the past um or even currently that you have participated in? Um favorite tracks, that's that's a tough one because it's gonna seem so widespread. Um now that it's back open, Possum Kingdom was always my favorite place in the world to ride a buggy. Um that was always one of those places I looked forward to going just because, you know, the drafting is, it's such a large track in comparison to what we run on, on a normal basis. Um, the drafting, you know, having to be so precise, even in traffic, you know, it's strategy. Um, possum takes the cake as far as like the big tracks that I've been on. But I think my favorite track ever is this little fairgrounds track in Mississippi. It was called Boonville. They ran once a year. 
and the track was probably a tenth of a mile, but it was a paperclip, kind of like what Martinsville looks like. And it got so good, it was just hammered down. I mean, it was, you had to load the carts down with left side like you were running on Coke syrup because it was so good. Mm. It, it just broke your neck. You know, three classes there or four classes there at the end of the day, and you're lucky to get out of the cart. It was just that fast. Um, you know, we, they ran there once, maybe twice a year with a series if they had one. But that one, now that it's gone, I think that's the one that, you know, I always will say is my favorite track. So, cool. Uh, any series from the past that you ran? The I think the I think the best assembled series as far as like pulling drivers together will always kind of be that old pro kart tour. Um, you know, when Will Brinkley had it, you know, it was I think two or three races. I mean, I guess he kept points, but uh, you know, it was a big money deal. You know, he went to the tracks that everybody wanted to go to, whether it was Beach Nut or, you know, Lasoski or, you know, these high caliber tracks that everybody reads about, but never get the pleasure of going to. And Will just kind of assembled a whole series and, you know, got the best of the best to find their way out to him every time. And, you know, it put on some really, really good racing and, you know, it was tough to make a lot of those shows. You know, whether it was Possum, Beach Nut, you know, those were just always good series races to go to. So, that was probably my favorite series that I ever ran. Okay. And, and it doesn't have to be just one one memory in general, but um, any memory or memories that really stick out from over the years? Um, I it's think, hard. Uh, I, I did a lot of thinking on that question when you sent me the outline. Um, I really think that my favorite memory just in general was the first time that we won Batesville. Um, you know, Tunica, you know, back when it was Tunica, you know, it was by far and away the largest indoor show and it was probably the largest show during Thanksgiving there for a while. It was even, you know, bigger than Thunder for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And I've been racing that since, you know, that's local to us. That's an hour from home. And we've been running it since I was five or six. And, you know, there was a lot of times we'd be up front and something would happen. And it was just one of those races that always eluded me. And uh, 2015, I think, we uh, was the first year that I, the second year that I'd run Unlimited down there. And we took, you know, a new engine package and the same old cart that was the straight rail that we cut the left rear, moved it on, Nelly. Um and we took it down there and we qualified fourth and, you know, we were in a really good spot to run good. And, you know, there was some, there was a, a couple of, uh, extenuating circumstances between me and another guy that, uh, took him out and he was probably one of the top contenders, but, uh, we went on and I won that race and darn near lap second. And, hmm. you know, that was one of those deals that, you know, that race had eluded me forever. And I was just so ecstatic to finally win one. And then now I go down there every year and I'm like, yeah, it's cool. But I think like after you win that one that you chased forever, it just loses its luster. Yeah, no, definitely. definitely. So, um, oh man, well, we're getting closer to the end and kind of something I wanted to, I haven't really talked about a lot in the past, but kind of, I mean, do you, so you're in karting, you're obviously like, you're going to be in karting for a while, you know, hopefully, um, you seem like a good representative of the sport in your wildest imaginations. Um, like where do you think karting will go over the next 
15 to 20 years. Um, I said, actually, where do you think it'll go and, and where would you like it to go? I mean, that's, that's a question that I sit around and think about a lot. You know, I think about the state of the sport as right now, I think you see that nobody wants to race unless it's, you know, 500 or a thousand to win. And there's only, there can only be so many of those races before promoters start, you know, losing their tails and they can't afford to do it anymore. And I hate to see that karting is going down that route because I saw the days of WKA where, you know, you got an eagle and people were ecstatic just to win because you beat the competition. And now everybody wants it to be about a dollar amount. So, you know, a lot of people like the money deal. And, you know, I'm not going to say I don't because, I mean, I, I sit around and chase money myself. But I, I, I don't think that the whole money racing only is the right aspect for the sport. I think that it costs – I think you spend more to win more. But down the road, you're, you're never going to, you know, make out, you know, to where you can do it sustainably, especially not for people just getting into the sport. So I think I would like, I think the thing that I would like to see the most would be to see local racing on a major level, make a comeback as far as, you know, your local tracks being open every other weekend and, you know, having 150, 200 carts back again and having these big fields. And I'm also a big, I'm a big, big disapprover of the whole amateur semi-pro pro class structure. I feel like we should go back to running, you know, we can call it light heavy and super heavy for all I care, but run like a 340, a 380 and a 420. And that's it. You know, if you're not good enough to make the show, try harder and come back next week. So that's, I, I think I'm going to catch some criticism for that, but I, uh, well, you know, me, me too. Cause I'm about to jump on a little bandwagon here. <laughs> I, I, the thing is, is like, yeah, I mean, I, like I know for me growing up when I raced, it was eight through 12 was junior sports and one, there was one class and that was it. I mean, that's back in the 80s. So, I mean, I'm old. But I mean, the, whole thing with, the whole thing with the amateur and semi-pro, like the two things that I, that I will say about it, like one, I think it's just another way to get more entries. You know, we're given the false belief that people have a shot to win. And the other thing is I don't understand the difference between a semi-pro that has the same guys that are running up front and pro. It's like their feeder team with the same – it's like they're not really. They're just the second best pro team on their team. You know what I mean? And it's like – I work. I mean, it's really like the participation trophy thing. I know everyone likes to bitch and complain about it, but it's like we're literally doing this in go karting, and the same people that are complaining about about it are the same people that are enjoying it. And I don't blame the people that are doing it. I mean, I would too, but like some somehow, like there needs to be less classes because I've always been. I think about it a lot too as this podcast has grown. Like where where I would be able to kind of throw my weight behind and the people that are listening and. I would like there to be some some more like exposure on TV, rather be a Facebook live weekly go-kart race. I don't know, but I think having 20 classes with 10 motors and 15 different weights and agent, it's just, it's too much, you know. Um, I brought up before, I think that on, you know, Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune, they've been on forever because they're pretty damn easy to follow, you know what I mean? It's um, And I think that's, we need to distill it a little bit so we can kind of break it down so it can be presented to the public in a way that we can bring money into the sport not just bleed all the money that's already in it i i tell everybody all the time a 12 class structure is all you need you get one junior one class one junior two class one junior three class because they're kids they don't need as much as they need the track time 
take them to the track every weekend if you're looking for more. They don't need to be running three and four classes a day. You know, they, they, they're missing out on the whole going and playing with your friends aspect. You know, they're not – there's the kids that help, you know, on the carts, and then there's the kids that go and play while dad does everything. And, you know, I've been both of those kids, I know. And I, I, I just don't see why they need a light, heavy pro class for each division. You know, cut back from, you know, your – cut back from the three to the two on the normal adult classes, run a light and a heavy, one at 340 and one at 380, because I don't see anybody running at 325 anymore. And even if they do run a 325 class, they run medium weight. So you're, you're you know, adding another class for entry fees, like you said. And then a super heavy class, a junior sportsman champ, and a senior champ, and an open class, and that's it. I don't see the need to have 25 classes. Not only does it make the day longer, I mean, I guess the promoters pad their pockets more, but I want to race against the biggest fields. You know, I want the 25, 30 cart fields back, you know, the ones where you've got to qualify into the show without a concy. You know, karting's lost its appeal to, you know, me sometimes because it's a, you show up and you get to race. I mean, I remember the days where there was, you know, 70 or 80 sportsman champs at tunica and dad would say hey you know you just weren't good enough to make the cut today try tomorrow so mm-hmm. you know i think mm-hmm. that you need some of those losses have you did you listen not to put you on the spot did you listen to uh jody miller's um yes absolutely yeah and he was kind of talking about um so i think something that he and his dad had talked about is maybe running like 10 classes, the same five classes twice where you actually do the hot laps qualifying feature, then hot lap for the same thing. That way you kind of even it out because, you know, the other thing we were talking about the semi pro, it's really just another practice for the tire guy for pro, you know? So it's, it's like a sticky little situation where the people that need the benefits, the the least are getting the most. And, um, and, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, not to, not to piss anyone off or anything like that. And trust me, we've been the same way. We run six classes in a day and it's definitely benefited us. You know what I mean? Absolutely. But, I, um, I tell everybody time on the track, whether it's you or whether it's a customer, anytime you can stay on the track, you're going to notice the minute changes it's making. If you get on the track once to qualify one class and then it's seven hours before you get on it, you're going to be lost. I mean, there's no doubt that time on the track is everything while you're there. So, I mean, I agree. I mean, I'm the same guy. I run five or six classes if I've got the help. So, you know, and they might, and they're completely different. You know, it might be a predator, you know, two predator classes, two small block classes, and then UAS. I mean, you know, Mm -hmm. they're vastly different beasts, but anytime you can be on the track, you're going to notice, you know, hey, it's starting to dust up or, hey, you know, it's starting to, you know, lay some rubber instead of just prep or whatever you know anytime you can be on the track you're going to be able to be more observant of what's going on so i mean yeah that's you know i think everybody in carting if they could do it they would you know yeah absolutely man and do you have you thought about it at all or have you kind of uh in the past or in the future like when you'll take when you'll step out of the seat or and the only reason I ask is I, I know like especially for me, I know some other guys in the past, like there's like a point where they got to where they just knew like, hey, I'm done. I'm done racing. I'm just gonna go work on them or whatever. And I'm kind of curious with you because you know your dad you said is you know close to 60 and he's still racing. You know what I mean? So is that your plan as well? Or do you see yourself moving more towards, you know, the Stegan tire concept our concepts 
like more of the business side where you're there to kind of support people or will you continue to race you think i feel like me personally i think i do better preparing tires when i'm on the track whether you know i'm running five classes or whether i'm running one i don't think you'll ever see me just completely get out of the seat just because i i enjoy the racing aspect of it as much as anybody you know that's that's what we all fell in love with was you know actually getting out on the track racing side by side and you know getting off and high-fiving each other and saying man that was a fun race so as far as me jumping out of the seat i don't feel like you'll see that anytime soon especially since i'm fixing to hit what i call you know your racers prime which is like 28 to 34 i think that that's the point where you still got enough physically in you to be good but you've also got the most amount of knowledge that you're ever going to have up until that point. So, you know, I'm easing up on what I feel like is my prime time as far as being a driver. So, you know, as soon as I hit the old man class, you might see me jump out of the seat a little more, (laughs) but until then, I don't think I've got any plans on, you know, just hopping out of the seat. You know, it's, it's still the part of the sport that I enjoy. And, you know, especially with the horsepower stuff, um, the driver means so much in comparison to like a clone or a predator, you know, there's so many more working parts with an open that you can, you in the seat can make a difference. And that's always, you know, the fun part of that for me, you know, the predator's cool, the clone's cool, but most of the time it's, you know, you either hit the tires or you didn't with the open, you can hit the tires and it's still, you know, a handful to drive. So Mm -hmm. that's, and, and I know that's an appeal to a lot of people that are, that want to get into the sport and just have fun. It's, you know, they don't want to go race against, you know, Alex White that has a tire selection. They'd rather go where, like on the backyard, where they actually have, can have a little more fun. And, and they know that if, you know, like, like you just said, kind of like the window is bigger, like, you know, on the opens and stuff like that for the driver, where it doesn't matter how good you are. If you're not on the right tire on a clone, you're probably not even going to win on a, a local show anymore. You know, the, the funny thing about like, the small block open stuff around here is that you know the names that you probably know like buddy wilson ty england joe warren all those guys run small block so it's basically just a sped up version of clone for a lot of us (laughs) so like uh you know ty england ran small block this weekend at king of kings joe warren did too our our other local hot shoe the guy that can drive anything is sean knuckles he was you know the fastest thing there all weekend and i tell everybody you know everybody's like well open's a little less competitive and then you start looking at some of the names you've got to race against on a weekly basis whether it be like here or semo or whatever i mean you're talking about guys that have won you know ten thousand to win races in a clone the same night and you're racing mm-hmm. them just on a small block now so I don't, I don't think that the competition is any less now, you know, with the UAS stuff and the run with your brunk, sometimes it is because a lot of those guys that are running clone probably aren't running that, but with the small block class around here, it really is the class that pulls everybody, you know, whether they run a clone or an open or whatever, you know, everybody kind of feeds into that class and the cart counts show because I mean, we'll have 25 on a local night. So it's by far and away the biggest class we have locally. Do you know Bradley Bush? Absolutely. Me and Bradley are pretty good buds. I was just kind of curious. I mean, I, I don't know the relations. I mean, it's like geographic. I don't know how close you got. I was just kind of curious. You guys ever race? Is that, I yeah. Mean, does he run the small block stuff? Or? He does. He runs okay. a lot of the small block open stuff with us. Um, he actually ran at Batesville 
this year. I, I was struggling pretty bad on Friday, and he had a basically like a stock appearing engine on, and I blew past him down the straightaway, and he punted me through the corner. And I was like, well, <laughs> I was like, well, I was like, that goes to show it's not always horsepower, and still tires make more of a difference than anything. But uh, yeah, Bradley's a pretty good friend of mine. I don't say that we talk regularly, but if we're at the track, you can definitely find us cutting up somewhere. Uh, that's cool yeah he seemed like a cool guy man i just just like you man just kind of uh kind of combing through the facebook likes and things like that and uh just look interesting and uh it's good man i think there's a lot of people uh you know like yourselves there's a lot of people like you know kevin colburn or like your dad that have been around forever that i think everyone has something to add to the sport you know everyone has a little different perspective and uh that's that's the one thing that i've realized the most is I like going, you know, like I didn't realize how much I would actually just like having the conversations and just hearing about other things because you get so caught up in your little your region of racing or things like that, that um, it, it's just nice to kind of to have those conversations across the, you know, across our sport, so to speak. Yeah, I think everybody's got a niche that they fall into, whether it be, you know, the big national traveling deals or just the local guys. But I always, I always said when you started the podcast, I said, man, what this is going to turn into is story time with a new kart racer every weekend. And I'm, I'm not against that either. You know, I love listening to, you know, like Kevin Colburn's old stories or, you know, that's the most fun that I those are the memories as a kid that I enjoy the most is just sitting at the kart shop, you know dad or you know enoch or them having a beer and we just all sit around and talk about you know like the old days of you know wka or ikf or going to barnesville or you know places you know those stories that you know i didn't get to live and experience but those guys just those are the memories that they've kept from the sport and i look forward to the day that you know i can be 40 or 50 with a bunch of kids in the cart shop and you know sharing those same kind of stories and then they look at me and be like that never happened and then you know, somebody stand up for you and be like, no, that really did happen. That's all true. And, you know, just the awe and shock kind of like I had to go through as a kid. So, yeah, and absolutely, man, there's been, uh, you know, there have been times on the podcast and it's, you know, it's still really young, but um, like that I've gone into a conversation thinking it was going to be about one thing. And like, you know, all of a sudden, like all these dots start connecting points because you hear the story and how he met this guy. And it's, it's pretty cool, man. Like I, like you said, I really, I mean, I definitely want, I want people, anyone that comes on here, the only thing I ask is like, don't talk shit about anyone and, and just be, <laughs> on, and, you know, and, and just be honest. And um, I think, you know, if you hear something enough, I mean, everyone kind of follows the same train of thought as far as like their, you know, good maintenance program, figure out your tires, have a good crew around you. Um, but it's like the stories that really like pop up out of nowhere that um, have been the biggest hit probably as far as this goes. And there's a lot of guys that have been in the sport for a while that I want to get on here, but Part of my thing, too, is I want to get this big enough to, so the most people can hear, you know, Todd Miller and Ron, you know, if they'll even come on. I'm hoping they will. But, you know, Ronnie Robinson, like I want all these guys that have been in the sport forever that are bigger guys and even like some crew chiefs and NASCAR or something like that. I want I want the biggest people to hear them. And I just that's why I'm kind of holding off. And um, I really want to build a community with people like us that are just, you know, that have good intentions. And it's not, you know, probably won't be the last time that people are on here. I mean, it's it could be a multiple time thing. And um, so I'm looking forward to it, man. And, and uh, you know, thanks to yourself and a lot of people like you, it's, you know, it, the community is growing this whole thing. I'm just kind of recording and posting it and trying to come up with some clever sayings on Facebook every once in a while to kind of keep the interest. But um it's uh, that's the thing I like about it, is the community is going to grow. I mean, there may be a point that I just say, hey, I can't do this anymore. Does anyone want to take over? You know, so um, so we'll see how it all goes, man. But um, 
Uh, one thing I want to do before we get out of here is I'll obviously like, I'll tag you on on Facebook and on Instagram and things like that. Um, is there you know any kind of like closing thoughts? Any people? Um, any, you know, obviously there's probably some people you can give us some shout outs to, and and also um, kind of let people know where they can find you on you know the interwebs and social media. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Stegan Tire Concepts on Facebook is going to be where you're going to find all my uh, information as far as like pricing and stuff like that if you needed anything done. Um, I am a distributor for Andy Murray's stuff. If you're looking for gambler preps, um, you know, we, we're, we're a distributor for Vega. Uh, you know, I can do pretty much anything you need. I'm cutting, prepping, anything like that, cart setup. All those things that you'd expect from somebody that you're going to and carting for help, we do all those things. Um, if if you want to look at some funny, you know, memes or get a good laugh, just add me on Facebook. That's usually good for at least one or two laughs a day. I'm always trying to cut up on there. Um, you know, people that I like to thank, though, you know, obviously my dad's done everything in his power to give me the best opportunity to have a good racing career. Um, you know, from working all night long, you know, in the shop to paint helmets on the side for extra money or whatever he had to do, you know, that's, he's always done everything he could do to make sure that I had everything I needed to be competitive, even when it meant shortchanging himself. And I think that, uh, I think a lot of times kids overlook the amount of work that goes into the, the program before you ever get to the track. And, you know, they appreciate them for what they do at the track, but not the time and effort that they put in home and my dad puts in a lot of time and effort at the house to get us ready um tyler harshman harshman race engines tyler takes care of all the engine stuff for me i know that when it shows up i don't have to worry about it um one of my best friends for sure and a better business partner to have in my life you know um he he really drives me and motivates me to you know better myself not only you know off the track but on um, he's always doing whatever he's got to do to help out, you know, whether it be sending a cart, sending parts, sending an engine, you know, he's always on top of that stuff. Um, TS racing Vega tires. They've been with me ever since we started the UAS open deal. Um, for sure. Got to thank them for everything they do to help the program out. Um, Thomas Dacus is always helping me in the shop. He's my stay in roommate right now. Um, so he's always in the shop helping me with tires whenever we need stuff rolled or wiped, whatever we need done. Uh, you know, there's, there's so many people, electron carburetors for all they do. I mean, the, it, the list goes on and on. I could sit here and ramble for an hour about the people that help me, or I can just say, you know, everybody that's had a small part in helping us or a big part, you know, it all makes a difference for every everything that we do just to get to the track and have good days there absolutely i'm looking on your facebook page right now and i see a an older photo of a gentleman driving a go-kart number 01 so that's your dad right correct and so one where did he get his number from and then so he was uh, it looks like he was 01 and you're 001 so can you just I meant to ask that earlier. I'm just kind of curious on that. My number has jumped all over the place my entire <laughs> career. Okay. Um, I, it's never been something that I'm just like gung-ho on having to have. Um, gotcha. 01 started when my dad wanted 
to be number one when he started racing. Um, everybody was number one, so he was like, well, I'm tired <laughs> of having to put an X or a, a slash or whatever. He's like, so we're just going to make it 01. And funny story about that. Um, when he first started the 01 deal, his favorite color was, you know, like fluorescent orange or red or whatever you want to call it. Well, back then, you know, all you were painting on the carts was the frame. You know, they were in number panels. And uh, one day he came home from work and his mom was yelling at him and he said, we're suing him. We're suing him. And he said, what is your problem, mom? And, uh, she said, they're on the TV. They're copying you. They've got an orange Dodge charger and it's got an O one on it. <laughs> and I, I cannot tell you how <laughs> that story gets so many laughs because uh, he was, he was an orange O one for t- two or three years before the Dukes of Hazard were ever on TV. Uh, so, and you know, my dad's been accused of some wild antics in his days, so that's not too far fetched for <laughs> that being about him. That's funny. <laughs> so that's funny. that the O one comes from uh, you know, oh I I've never compared myself to my dad, you know. I think that as far as talent wise, I'm never gonna be what he is. Um, you know, I'm I'm lucky if, you know, I'm I'm half the driver that he is. But uh, when we started running the UAS deal, I was at one because he wasn't racing a lot. And then he decided he wanted to start riding again. So I was like, well, we can't both be O one. And he had a picture from him at the Tulsa shootout and it was double zero one. And uh, I was like, yeah, I was like, that's close enough. I can live with that. I was like, I've always lived in your shadow anyways. What's just adding another number. So I uh, made it double O one and it's pretty much stuck since then. Gotcha. Well, uh, I think we're about to an end, man. Um, we're actually recording this on a Friday morning, so I want to, you know, thank you again for making time for not only me, but you know, for everyone listening. I know this is, uh, you know, just through our conversation, man. I think there's a lot of good information for some of the guys that have been asking for it, and I'm sure that if anyone does have questions, they can reach out to you, and um. I'm sure between knowledge and tires and stuff like that. I mean, I'm sure that there's a conversation that can be started that, you know, that anyone wants to take the time to reach out to you. So. Absolutely. Um, And I'm going to say it because I don't know if anybody ever believes it truly, but if you've got a question, I am an open book. I will tell you everything that I'm doing, anything that you want to know to the best of my knowledge. I, I don't hide. I don't keep secrets there's a lot of times that if you're at the track and struggling, I'll mix you up my wipe and put it in a bottle with a top and I'll say, here, go and wipe this and it'll probably help. So, you know, if you're ever at the track and you see me and you're really curious, come and ask. I promise you I don't have a problem helping because I don't want to beat you on the track because my cart was better than you. I want to prove that I was the better driver. So in an ideal world, we all run the same thing and I can sit in the seat and say that I'm the best on that day. Right. And I've always said the same thing that, you know, when people ask, I have confidence that, you know, the driver I'm working with and the team, like we're going to outrun you on our stuff, you know? So I, in my eyes, like sometimes helping people and a lot lot of people that ask for help are guys that, you know, literally are are out to lunch. They just need to get, they just need to get the go-kart underneath of them so they can begin to get better as a driver, which in return is going to be less cautions, less hassle to get around. It's, it's not about building, you know, building the sport. I mean, if you got a guy running second, he's like, wants to borrow your set of tires. I mean, I like, I understand that, but in the general, you know, generally it's the guys that are really struggling that 
just want a little bit of direction. You know what I mean? And uh, and I think that you know, like you said, I mean, everyone has come on here and said it, and I really believe that everyone on here that if you reach out, whether it's at the track or on social media, I really believe that they're, they're going to give you the best answer that they can give you. You know, so. Uh, and it doesn't work for everybody. You know, the same thing that works for me might not work for you, but I'm, if you ask, I'll tell you exactly what I'm doing. You can look at the back of my tire, you know, the wheels and see, you know, when they're rolled and if they were re-rolled and stuff, you know, I'm not going to try to hide any information if you ask, because if, if you're asking, you're already, you know, out in left field. Usually most people that are pretty close, aren't going to come and ask you what you're doing. Yeah, so. absolutely, man. And, uh, Remember early in our conversation when uh, we were talking about how you frame the question, you know, make sure if you're going to ask someone, you know, you don't want to bug the shit out of them, you know, like make sure if, if you're kind of new and you want to know, like try to frame, like frame your question. So it's going to help you that week. And then moving forward, not just like you said, you know, we were talking before, like trying to understand the how and the why, not just the what. So, um, well, Dustin, man, I, if there's not anything else, um, you know, I appreciate it again. And uh, I will definitely point everyone to you. And if there's any way that, you know, myself or the platform or the page or anything that can help you uh, moving forward, man, all, all you have to do is reach out and I'll be more than happy to do that for you. Sounds good, James. I appreciate what you're doing for the community. And thank you for having me on. Yes, sir. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Um, as always, if you see Dustin or if you're friends with him on social media, or if you're not, shoot him a friend request, shoot him a question, but most importantly, just let him know that you appreciate his time. Uh, as with anyone that comes on here, it does take a lot to come on here. I don't really have a pre, a little predisposed plan of what we're going to talk about. We just kind of have a conversation and, um, it's a lot to come on here and, and have, you know, a thousand people listen to you talk and ramble and not everyone's going to agree with everything that everyone says, but it's always going to be what works for us. And everyone that's on here is going to be honest and truthful about it. And we're only going to make this thing grow together, uh, not only the sport, but the podcast. So as always, like I said, reach out, just tell them thank you for the time and Share the podcast, subscribe to it on Apple, Spotify, Google, even if you don't listen to all of them. Um, you know, at least subscribe. Make me feel good. <laughs> all right, guys. I hope everyone is healthy and happy. Bye.